Carl, you still don't know if we have home field advantage. They like to call it home ice, Lynn, because it's ice and they don't play on a field. Oh, that's <laughs> silly me. That's all right. We will, we will know by the end of tonight. So as you're hearing this, you already know and you're going, hey, here's what we're doing. So as, as we record this, we don't know where or when or what time. We do know who. It is going to be the Minnesota Wild. We just don't know whether we're going to be here or there Monday or Tuesday or what is the worst time that the league can give us to play because that will be it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to our guest Joe Hanrahan from Midnight Company Theater Group, midnightcompany.com, in just a second. Around minute 24, we'll talk memory. Around minute 32, the Duke. Around minute 34, the offer on Paramount Plus. Around minute 45, Navalny. Around minute 50, Spring Awakening documentary on HBO. And then the reason all the TV is dropping at once. And then around one hour, CinemaCon. Jen Myers and the weekend happenings. Hi, Joe. Hi, hey. Joe. Go Blues. Thank you. Well, Joe has an opening himself to be excited about. His company, the Midnight Company, cleaned up at, at this year's St. Louis Theater Circle Awards. Joe won Best New Play for Tinseltown, and he won an acting award for the um and i always get this wrong it's magic uh it is magic yeah it is magic because yeah. i kept i i kept referring to it as it's only magic but that's wrong <laughs> it is magic which also won best comedy and a bunch of other uh, acting awards for the ensemble and best ensemble so congratulations joe i haven't had a chance to talk to you since you won no thank you thanks uh, to all of you uh, you and all of the other uh critics in the circle for uh, for for the whole event. Uh, everybody loves to see uh, colleagues and productions uh, remembered. Well Thank deserved. You. And Carl, I believe I told you about his James Bond Cardinal. Yes, you did. Memoir that was so good. Uh, we had you on, I think. This we time. did. Yes, sure. last that, summer. And that so, was nominated as well and uh, was a runner up to myself. <laughs> you beat yourself out. I did. He beat Neil LeBute, by the way. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason we're, we're having him today is we're going to talk about his UFO play that he has penned called Anomalous Experience. So take it away. Want me to take it away? Yeah. <laughs> tell take you, it away. Jim. Tell you about the show. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, this is Midnight's, um, another bit of news, this is Midnight's uh, 25th anniversary season. We've been doing theater in St. Louis for 25 years, so we had a season that we wanted to, you know, make an impact with. We had our October, our October and our July shows all lined up. We knew what we wanted to do, but uh, in May, I, I knew I was going to do something at the Kranzberg uh, Black Box, but I didn't know what. And um, uh, I, I, there was a couple of stories uh, about aliens, UFOs that I, I had in my hip pocket, true stories from around the area that I was going to write a book about. But then in uh, right around the first of the year, a new biography of John Mack came out. Mack was a Harvard professor, Pulitzer Prize winner, very distinguished man who got pulled into the alien abduction experience um, as a consultant, as a therapist late in his life, and he got right in the middle of it. 
his career kind of went down the tubes. Everybody kind of laughed at him, but he continued the progress. And I thought, I put that together. I said, this, this, this is a play. And so that's what the structure of the play. I, I portray a psychiatrist, a noted psychiatrist who's, who's having, uh, you know, some troubles professionally because of what he's doing. And there are, there are two other actors in it who portray the people I, I talked to about their perceived experiences, people who were felt they were abducted and wanted help, wanted understanding, wanted answers, and came to my psychiatrist. So the, the structure of the play is my, my interviewers and my growing, uh, my interviews and my growing uh, fascination with, with them representing the hundreds and thousands of people around the globe who feel this has happened to. You know, it's, I, I hope this play has some current resonance because of the, you know, the recent, within the last year, sightings by military pilots on radar and film and the new government attention on this. So there's, there's more attention on this now than probably ever, but uh, it's been a recurring uh, phenomenon in our uh, society for 75 years, since just after World War II. And in the play, we try, we try to go over most of the relevant facts and try to like leave it to the, uh, leave it to the viewer to kind of decide where they stand because nobody knows yet. But my character in the play, the psychiatrist is convinced that something, something is happening. That so he is, it, is it based on John Mack or it, do you mention him or? No, I don't, I don't mention him. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I only kind of follow a little bit of his broad career path in the introduction to myself, but and I, I, might, I might pull a few little things from his work and his, I've read, read his work as well. Uh, but no, it's not not totally based on him. No, but it's uh, it really the the core of the show comes from the experiences of the two people, both of which are true local stories. One based on that Illinois happening back in the uh, was it the seventy? Uh, no, the I don't know when that was. When, when was the Illinois? That was around the t- time of the millennial. Oh, was so, it? Okay, yeah, yeah. That's right. it was and, around two thousand. Yeah. That's right. And Milstadt and Dupo and the police saw it. They were on patrol. It's, it's a celebrated case because several different police departments, uh, you know, they radio each other, say, what is that? And another one would jump in and follow it. But the incident I'm talking about was an actual abduction experience that happened in the 70s. I got pulled into it through a friend. A local person wanted to make a documentary about it. And so I was pulled in as a writer on it. Uh, and, and in this incident actually the woman from it was from godfrey illinois she sought answers she sought out uh j allen Hynek, who oh. was the guy who was uh, used to be project blue book he was based in chicago at the time he'd he turned from government skeptic to a believer and Hynek, you might know he's the guy that uh, coined the phrases close encounters of the first second and third kind and oh he, he actually has a cameo in Close Encounter. Spielberg had him on the set, and but this was pre-Spielberg when he uh, he dealt with uh, the victim we knew and uh, and actually proclaimed her a classic classic case. So that's kind of the uh, the uh, overview of the thing. Uh, Morgan Mall Smith is our director. Joe Garner and Peyton Gillum are the other actors in it, and uh, and I'm the third actor. So, uh-huh. I look forward. And you open Thursday or Friday? Thursday, May 5th, and we run through May 21. And uh, we were going to do this at the Black Box at the Kranzberg. We kind of wrote it for that space, but then we realized there's this other show called Hamilton happening. So <laughs> there's, there's no parking space anywhere on the ground. And uh, so we, we got, luckily, we were able to move over to the Dot Zach. 
which is great, which is where you had Tinseltown and yes. uh, the theater circle in, uh, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school, but we felt that your Tinseltown has what they call legs. Like it wouldn't just be a St. Louis play that it would have, uh, you know, it could go on to wider audiences because Carl, I believe we talked about this last, it's a universal about different tales, 24 hours in Hollywood different right. perspectives so this one has a broader reach but also localized which i think is cool so so how do you say the title of the play because i want to say it and then i think i'm saying it right but i don't i'm sure i'm not it's anomalous right that's correct yes uh -huh. which just means altered state of mind yeah yeah it means that something something's different yeah well, do you think and you couldn't go with the title Altered States because someone already took that? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, a lot of titles I couldn't take. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, um, with all the fiction that has happened over the years, primarily the X-Files. Sure. And then some of the TV shows like Roswell that had a cult following. Do you think there's more interest and less skepticism about it? You know, I, I think there's tremendous interest. I think everybody can... <laughs> Most everybody's pulled into one of these stories if it's well done. But I, I do think when it comes down to it, 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 for most people, it's entertainment. It's, you know, that's exciting entertainment. I, I think they, it's, skepticism doesn't even probably uh, get into it because I don't think most people are put on the spot about, well, I believe this or I don't believe it. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's uh, most people just kind of dismiss this as mainstream media has, has as government has tried to do. Everyone. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that, Joe. I think if you ask, there are a lot of people that you wouldn't think who believe in UFOs that do believe in UFOs. I think, I think it's more widespread than you would think, but they just don't admit it in public. I, I think that's probably where I was going with it. I think you're right. You know, the, uh, you know, they, they, they may be open to it. They may believe, but you know, not, it's, it's just not addressed. It's not a public topic. And if somebody like angels, <laughs> If somebody brings it up anywhere, I mean, I think it, it's met with, you know, raised eyebrows and laughs. And that's one of the points that we make several times in this show, uh, you know, I'm in this play, the, 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 the skepticism that everyone has to deal with, the, the people who believe they're victims, as well as the people like the psychiatrist who, who have taken it uh, as their work. Well, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get people believing in the whole anal probe kind of thing. But look at, look how many people believe in angels, and angels might as well be aliens because you do, it's unexplained phenomenon. Yeah, we 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 mention all you know a lot of that stuff. We try to cover the waterfront. We 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 say uh, there there are people who believe through study of classic text and visit to remote sites that, that there have been visitors to our planet since ancient times, the ancient astronauts. And, you know, and, the, and thought that, you know, this, if they're anything, well, one thing they may be is part of things that have haunted human consciousness since time immemorial. I mean, every, every culture sees things based on its own culture and technology. In the, you know, ancient times, they saw them as gods because that's what they, but now because of science, et cetera, we see them as aircraft. You know, it's a, <laughs> So it's a, and some people might see it as the Virgin Mary. You know, it's a different societies see different things, fairies, uh, leprechauns. You know, it's like some something that kind of like twists with our, you know, plays with our minds. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a Doctor Who line that science magic is just science that has not been discovered yet. 
That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. I'm yeah. not a Doctor Who person, but I have I, been. I time. know. Uh, the uh, I was really a uh, massive X Files fan, so I think the tide started turning then. But of course, Spielberg. I mean, Close Encounters, and then ET, and ET. It was one of the top films of all time. But I remember in the early 80s, there was this very cheesy but enthralling miniseries on NBC called V. Yeah. And yeah. we were all watching it with like, oh, my God, lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, since you since you researched this and then you researched some John Mack to possibly make the book. Is there anything that you learned that changed or swayed your opinion on anything? Um, I, I think the, the, the research I read, and I've, I've read a lot about this, a lot around it that I don't include in the play, but just, you know, I'm, all, I'm on the topic now. It's the tremendous amount of, of things that have happened out there. I mean, in the 75 years since they started popping up, and most people think they started popping up because they realized we had nukes. And that's a consistent part of the abduction story is communication, conference between the abductor and the abductee is, <clears throat> we're here to help you. We're here to help save your planet. And, uh, you know, you have nukes, get rid of them. And that, lately, I mean, they've been talking about climate change and, and climate crisis. I mean, the, the problem's there. So, but, but sightings abductions and and you know I, I read a funny thing george clooney did one of his space movies a few years ago and in an interview he said something like oh do you believe george george goes no i mean if there were if i did if there were any you'd see pictures of them you know but the thing is there are these websites and things and apps on your phone you can see pictures every day i mean there are people all over the world taking film and footage and stuff but it's just it's it, the the amount of like people that just like dismiss this totally you know um uh is 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 amazing to me so i've i've learned that there's you know you don't have to really be shy or back down about saying what about this because there's so much out there and you know, it's impossible for one person to get their their hands or head around all of it but it, it's it's tremendous about and then especially when it gets into what we're talking about in the show we talk about a very specific segment of this phenomenon abduction and these the people have been abducted all over the world have these incredibly similar experiences and it's and we stayed in the play too and i don't, I don't want to tell you the whole play but the most people who've, who've had abduction experiences have never seen or read anything about them i mean not only details and newspapers or books and as many ufo movies as hollywood have done very few of them have ever taken you inside uh, a spaceship for for an abduction so the all the details descriptions they're all original and they're all so consistent among so many people you know that it's 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 really a, a, a amazing so it, if aliens aren't taking people there's something else happening and uh, we kind of you know at a, i'm not going to give you the conclusion but we wrap up the show the psychiatrist works with one of his professional gods carl gustav jung who wrote a wrote a book about ufos in the 50s and who had his own theories so and he 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 believed there was something happening, but he he wasn't convinced that they were from space yet. There wasn't enough evidence, and there still isn't. I'm so I'm intrigued. It's the 25th anniversary. Uh, looking back, do you have 
I know you want to look forward, but since it is the 25th anniversary, do, what is your favorite production of the last 25 years? I think I have to say it was only in our second or third year and kind of by uh, accident, I was steered to write. I had done the Harry Truman show and I kind of had an offer to go do that at a, in Colorado. And then it kind of fell apart. And the guy said, well, you want to do something else? And you got any other Missouri guys that I just threw out? I don't know if you know why I'd even thought of him. I said, eh, how about Jesse James? And the guy said, oh, you got a script. And I said, oh, you got a contract. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I backed off and I, I started researching him and working on him. And so 22 years ago, 23, maybe we did uh, The Ballad of Jesse James, a show I wrote, a three-person play, a storytelling thing. We did it here first at the Museum of Contemporary Art. And there were people visiting, came down from Kearney, uh, Missouri, which is Jesse's hometown. They have, there's a Jesse James farm up there, a historic site. And every year they would hold uh, uh, Jesse James weekend. And they invited us up to go do the play up there. So that show we wound up doing two or three times, Missouri History Museum, a few other places here, but we did it two years at the Jesse James farm, right on the porch of, the, of his farm with people in lawn chairs and blankets and his oldest living relatives, Jesse James scholars. Uh, we were in the home, that, you know, our, our green room <clears throat> was the kitchen where the Pinkertons threw the bomb in and, you know, wow. blew their mom's arm off, killed their little brother. My, my dressing room, I was in the bedroom, where Frank James, who had gone to the farm to live late in his life, actually died in that bed. So it was it was a, such a memorable experience to get into the middle of that. We we tried to do a you know as I'm trying to do with this show a little bit, a real true historical perspective on him and what he did, what his life was like, and turn it into a show. And it was uh, it was just a, a great great fun uh, and great uh, great show to do. Well, that was 20-something years ago. Yeah. The current show is at the Zach on 3224 Locust, and it starts on Cinco de Mayo, hey, going, all yeah. the way, going all the way through May 21st. Go to midnightcompany.com for more information. Yes, thank you. Well, I look forward to seeing it. So anything uh, that you, are you planning to be in, is there planning to be a theater crawl this year? Uh, I heard there's going to be another thing like they did last year, kind of a, a theater festival, they called it, a two-evening thing. It's still going to be a number of companies doing shark plays, but in one spot, like they did last August. Uh -huh. yeah. well, you I think it's going to be in September this year. Oh, okay. Good to know. And yeah. also, uh, what's coming up for Midnight? What are your other uh, <clears throat> productions? In July at the chapel, we're going to do a show called Rodney's Wife by Richard Nelson. It's a show I've, uh, I've sat on for about three or four years, but it's a fabulous script. Uh, it takes place in the early 60s in Rome when Rome was the most exciting city in the world. And you had a lot of money, you know, U.S. movies had been, Cleopatra, everything had been there, pumping money into the city. Fellini was advertising. It's a very exciting city. And Rodney in the character is an American movie star who's gone there to do a, one of the first spaghetti westerns. And Rodney's wife, is uh, there's a second marriage and uh, the marriage is starting to fray a little bit. There's other family members in the villa. It takes place over a day and a half and it hits the ground running. And it's one of the most passionate human dramas I've come across. It's a very, very good, great. I have a great cast. John Wolbers, Kelly Howe, uh, Rachel Tibbetts, uh, Ben Ritchie, uh, Summer Bear and Oliver Backus uh, as a cast of six. It's going to be a 
fun show at the chapel. And then and, in, you're, uh, and you're you're directing that one, and it starts July seventh. Yes, sir. I'm directing, and then uh, I'm directing an, another a show I wrote in October, and this is the first show we had in our our calendar this year. It's going to be at the Dot Sack. But uh, I, I met a woman uh, last year singing at the Blue Strawberry Cabaret Space in town named Leka. She's a I singer. love the Blue Strawberry. I've I've been there many times. I, 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 I do, too. Leka is an incredible singer. She can sing anything. Uh, we got to know each other a little bit. She saw some of my theater work last year and she said, I want to do theater. I want to do more theater. So we're kind of co co combining a cabaret theater experience. The show is called St. Louis Woman. It's uh, going to have a band and uh, going to have uh, projections of St. Louis and its history. But we're going to do the history of music in St. Louis starting with St. Louis Blues and, uh, and Frankie and Johnny, two songs about St. Louis women, and then bring, bring it forth with the music that's been produced by St. Louis women. Jesse Mayford Smith, Willie Mayford Smith, who, who started gospel in this country as a widespread music phenomenon. Uh, Josephine Baker, Billie Holiday, who wasn't from St. Louis, but played here a lot at the Plantation Club. And then going to Tina Turner and Fontella Bass and Annie Peebles and end up with a couple of artists who weren't weren't uh, music people, but uh, but we're going to uh, present that show. It's a one woman show and uh, we've been working on it for about four or five months already. I've got about six or seven drafts of the script and Leka is working hard. Uh, uh, she's a great singer and she's becoming an actress and she's becoming a dancer at the same time. So it's uh, it's a big project for us for, for a little old midnight. It's a big and even though it's a one woman show, it's a big, big show. And that's in October and that's going to be at the dot Zach. Yes, it is. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, you have an ambitious season planned, so it is. Exciting. It's ambitious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially since the October show is not one hundred percent finished yet. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, and of course, but it's a new play, and as you know, as you know, new plays they just evolve. You know, I mean, Tinseltown was a great example of that, Lynn. If you remember it, I mean, we had slight slight references to Christmas in it in each of the shows because of this. The show's called Tinseltown, which has no real reference to tinsel or holidays but it's the <laughs> fake fake hollywood but you know we were we were about a week away from opening that show and actually i came in and i said you know guys this is called tinseltown we're doing it in december it's kind of happening now shouldn't we mention christmas so we we inserted <laughs> just a few christmas mentions in before we opened yeah that was fun that, that's a new play for you it's it's evolving yeah that was fun well i'd like to applaud you because of when the pandemic hit you kept going yeah. and uh, you were one of the first people to uh, develop things post pandemic. Once the, once uh, there was this program that the Kranzbergs used called art safe. Yes. And you had to go through all that to make sure it was safe to produce, but you just didn't sit around. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had spaces reserved at, different places and we had to cancel this cancel that but i had one in november and something was slowing down and i think it was it was the kranzberg and st louis city they i think they just kind of like threw me out there it's like we're going to try something so i i did the only show during the pandemic in 2018 yeah i mean not too i'm sorry 2020 it would have been it in, in, in november in november i was uh you know nothing else was happening one man show uh, we had capacity of 18 that's where that name number came from and we made it through that we did a show but but then yeah i i, I did six shows in 2021 starting in june yeah and a, a lot of companies didn't do shows they said oh the bigger companies oh we want to be safe for everybody but 
it's kind of a money question, I thought, more than safety. But but so we were lucky. We had little shows we were able to do. Well, the Kransberg still have uh, safety precautions in place. As, I think as, not that I know of. I think they it's they've left it up to the individual companies. That's the last I've heard. I know like uh, Sate is opening uh, a Friday night uh, uh, with their show and they've requested uh, mask and uh, vaccination proof for their show. But it's up to every company to do what they want to do right now. Right. I was told by the black rep that uh, Actors Equity often wants the the masks on. So last night at West End Players Guild, we all had to wear masks. But whatever the company wants, right. whatever well, they're comfortable with, I'm cool. I, I heard a local theater group just had a rash of positive tests going through their company. So a, a lot of these theater groups are being extra cautious. Yeah, it's still around. I'm going for my second booster this afternoon. So, I just got mine. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, thanks, Joe, so much for coming on. Break a leg. I'll see you next Friday. And Midnightcompany.com. Hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Carl. See you thanks, guys next Joe. time. I hope to see you soon. Great. Hope so. Bye-bye. Now, Lynn, let's talk about a guy who is making the same kind of movie every single time it's liam neeson i thought liam neeson might retire but no he's going to do something else called memory is this another movie where he's the same person yes <laughs> no holds barred yes it's the same movie as taken or any of the other ones that he's made in the last 10 years he plays a hired assassin heard that before Yes, but there is a little hook here. I'm not saying it's good, but there is a hook here. The reason it's called memory is because he is losing his memory because his Alzheimer's disease is progressing. Okay, so so that the the hook is Alzheimer's disease. That sounds very distasteful. Yeah, it's based on a German, not a German, a Belgian thriller. From 2003, The Memory of a Killer. So, but it involves another favorite topic child sex trafficking. Oh, okay. This sounds like a happy, happy movie. It's directed by Martin Campbell, who did Casino Royale. I know, but he also did Green Lantern. Go. And uh, hey, don't. I am a Green Lantern fan. I, th what they could have done with the second Green Lantern with Sinestro would have been genius. I'm really sorry that it died a horrible, horrible death. And in Deadpool 2, it, it is made fun of by Ryan Reynolds, the star of that. But yes, Martin Campbell's, uh, he directed this movie. Uh, there's actually, the Belgian film is called The Alzheimer Case. Yeah, well, then they said, uh, based on if you if you press that Belgian title, it goes to memory of a killer. So I don't okay. know what that means. Well, uh, but, and then Monica Bellucci, the beautiful and talented, is uh, also in the film. And so is Guy Pierce. Yes, Guy Pierce is actually, uh, at first, I didn't know what to make of him because he's got greasy hair and he's got an accent that goes in and out a Southern accent because it takes place in El Paso, Texas and uh, Mexico. So they toggle between the 
locations. The thing about Martin Campbell is he's hot and cold. He's uneven. He uh, can stage an action picture. And I, no doubt he can do action scenes. There's a lot of shattered glass and bullets flying here. But there's also just this heavy-handed, cumbersome script. The thing that I found most distasteful about Green Lantern was that the origin story took so long to tell in the beginning by the time we got to the action. So in this one, we don't know, and it's also based on a book. We don't really know where it's going for the longest time. It is very chintzy in giving you information. And it's and only, then, and it's two hours long. And uh, by the time you figure out the players, some of them matter and some of them don't. And it's just clunky and you lose interest very quickly. If they would have concentrated on the, FBI agent played by Guy Pierce and Liam Neeson trying to what he's doing is the FBI is too slow in catching these horrible traffickers because of course they're horrible people well, and yeah. uh, so he takes the matter into his own hands and starts being a killing machine before Since he knows he's going He's losing his mind or memories. Or... Right. Well, does, he, does he know he has Alzheimer's? Yes, he's taking medicine. He's he's he and his brother's in an institution and he goes visits him and he's writing stuff down on his arm. Guy Pierce, memento. Like memento. Yeah. So I don't think it's a good thing to, to bring up another movie while you're watching another movie that is superior. But um, anyway, this just takes, it just is like, Please put this out of its misery. Well, oh. the, the last movie Martin Campbell did was The Protege, which, although it wasn't great, it uh, Maggie Q and Michael Keaton and Sam Jackson were having fun in that movie. Are they? I mean, this seems like a, a very heady movie to have fun. Yeah, I just it no, there's no fun. There's no there's no smiles, and the people. <laughs> Um, a lot of them are interchangeable. It's like standard stock characters, like the good old boy sheriff that's going to teach this guy a lesson. And then we have a tragic backstory for Guy Pierce, but he doesn't get to tell it till like the last half hour of the movie, which could have helped earlier his motivation. I will say the two people on his team, Taj Atwal and... Torres. Harold Torres. Yes. Harold. Harold Torres. They are good as the FBI people that, uh, that and then we don't know who's really corrupt in the FBI. We don't know there's a local law enforcement and then we have the FBI guys and this is an international story about the trafficking and uh, we don't know why things are so messy and uh, then this Monica Bellucci, she badly overacts as the oh real estate kingpin that's paying people off because her son is a sex a child sex addict. If that what, what, pedophile? Yeah. Oh yay! Hooray! More. This movie doesn't sound entertaining at all. No, 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 because <laughs> no, it's not. No, and poor Liam. I just. You know, I'm with him and then I'm not because I give him the benefit of the doubt. 
and then it's just like but he's looking really old in this movie and i'm sure that is on purpose because of the whole thing about time running out of time to get his uh work done but he uh makes this mistake that he well not a mistake but he's hired to kill people and one of them is a child and he says no deals off well then that enrages the bad guys so he's got the good guys and the bad guys after him and he's the lone wolf does this sound familiar sounds like a um, lot of movies i just uh, got my new aarp magazine yesterday and he's the cover boy on it they think they think people of a certain age are going to go see this movie because it's about alzheimer's i guess i don't know well, let, let's talk about something better. I hear the Duke is pretty, pretty good, even though it's a two-year-old British film that we're just getting over here now. I think it was because of the pandemic, to be honest with you. That's that, not how movies work, Lynn. That's well, not how technology works. Yeah, but I, I do think uh, they held it. Well, Roger Michel, the, uh, Roger Michel, the uh, director, he died. He did uh, Notting Hill. Yes, he did Notting Hill. And he, um, it's, it's really uh, charming and daffy. And the best thing is that the pairing of Jim Broadbent with Helen Mirren, they play, this is based on a real case, 1961, this uh, rabble rouser kind of nonconformist uh, goofball <laughs> who couldn't really hold a job. <laughs> Kempton Upton played by Jim Broadbent, steals the Duke photo from the National Gallery of London. Doesn't he, he just like walk in and take it? Uh, no, but he walks in and returns it. Oh, that's right. And, I knew, uh, I knew that he just walked in and did something. Yeah. And, and he said, and his defense, the wonderful Matthew Good plays his defense attorney and the defense is built on I was just going to borrow it to make a point. I wasn't going to keep it. Okay. And uh, Helen Mirren is his long-suffering, hardworking wife. She scrubs toilets in the movie and is the housekeeper. And she is just exasperated by all of his schemes because he uh, wants old people to get a break on the BBC TV license. Because, so for, I mean, for, for people that don't know, in England, to watch TV, you have to pay a fee. It, they, call it, they call it a license. And so you have to pay this to the government because the government television is subsidized over there. The BBC is subsidized by the government. And you have to watch it no matter what. You have to pay it no matter what. It's weird. Yes. Well, he protests this all the time because he wants elderly and veterans to get a break. So that's his big crusade. He's one of those guys that stands with bullhorns in places, <laughs> but uh, he's always <laughs> he gets fired as a taxi driver because he talks too much. You know, they, you, have, you used to have to pay for the radio, too, up until uh -huh. the 70s. Yeah, you had, but they dropped that. In the, so they they did drop it. I mean, now it's like, uh, hold on, I'm looking right here. Since April 2021, it's 159 pounds a year, which is more than $300 a year that you have to pay. And they said it's going to go up again for inflation. So, wow. Right. 
Well, uh, I it's a 60 year old case, so you could look it up if you want to know. But I think it's fun not knowing if you well, don't yeah. know too much about it. And then you just ride with the uh, courtroom and with the antics. Uh, Finn Whitehead is their son, Jackie, and he figures into it. And it's just quirky. It's one of those British comedies. It's quirky. It's not really laugh out loud. But Jim Broadbent, Oscar winner for Iris, who is in Harry Potter and Bridget yeah. Jones is dead. And he was Iron Lady. He was Margaret Thatcher's husband. He's in so many things. He's wonderful in this, as in Helen Mirren, whose character actually has a good arc just because she's an exasperated spouse. Uh, she has a little little backstory that's interesting and it progresses too towards the end so i'm not going to tell people too much about the plot because the pleasure is in seeing the plot develop and it's it was charming i didn't expect it to be so delightful but it was because it was held and i thought oh i know they were trying to kind of uh get it out there for award season but it's not really an awards type of a movie and then uh, I and you know what I'm not going to tell anything about this movie I didn't see it so I want to make that clear but I do know something about the case and what happened after the case and so I, I even though I know what's going to happen I don't want to share that right and you and you saw it already so you know what happens right a, a long time later after this case right in, which in which i'm century. not even saying because i right. do think because that takes the fun out of it but it is uplifting it's an uplifting story it's uh it's based on a true story as far as i can tell it's it's pretty close to because i went back to read about the real case after i saw it and it's pretty close to what happens he becomes like a folk hero cause celeb mm-hmm back in the day but it's just it's just it, it reminds you of just some of those daffy i'm not going to say like waking up ned divine as no. as hilarious as that is but you know sometimes the british characters are uh, a little a little eccentric and then also you have the pomposity of the whole british government and um, up a lip and yes that kind of that kind of stuff because the british government actually bought goya's painting because uh somebody was gonna sell it and move it out of the country and so he thought that was outrageous that they spent i think 140,000 pounds on this painting when they could have been helping elderly and veterans that was his point okay so uh, it's only at theaters right now, but I think it'll have a good shelf life streaming. Yes. And you, you're a fan and it's really well reviewed. Unlike, all right, since we're moving over to TV, I have heard nothing but horror stories about the offer. I haven't heard anyone that has liked it at all. Except me. <laughs> what? You are the only person that I have heard of every single review that I, I, mean, I haven't read any reviews. I've just seen headlines and they've all been absolutely horrible. I will say that the mafia, mafia, especially poor Giovanni Rabisi or Giovanni Rabisi, who I love, he plays Joseph Colombo and it's very stereotypical and heavy handed, 
but I am enjoying the backstory because of the real people that are being portrayed. And I'm enjoying it because I like that show busy aspect of it. And Matthew Good, speaking of, is fabulous as Robert Evans. Fabulous. This is a specific time. This is about how nobody wanted to make this movie, The Godfather. And uh, they have a real altercation. I mean, it's based on truth. Mario Puzzo and Frank Sinatra in Chasen's restaurant in L.A. And that's interesting. But it's it's the how Mario Puzzo came to write The Godfather, how it's based on Al Ruddy, Albert Ruddy's memoirs. Who And he's played by Miles Teller. And. I thought his story from computer programmer to Hollywood producer, because he came up with Hogan's Heroes and pitched. I love Hogan's Heroes. CBS. And then how he got into the Paramount lot, schmoozing with Robert Evans and just the whole backstory. But Juno Tempo plays Albert Ruddy's assistant, Betty McCart who became a legendary female agent in Hollywood. But she Juno is, Temple from Ted Lasso. Yes, she plays his assistant and she knows everybody and she guides him and she's very slick. And uh, she uh, she's kind of like the uh, pulling the strings behind the scenes because he's so fresh and new as in Hollywood. And then we have Dan Fogler as Francis Ford Coppola. Hold on. The guy from the Wizarding World is in this? Yes. And he's good as Francis Ford Coppola. And um, it's about how he was on the outs. The reason they got so many people to be in this is because they were on the outs. Now, I haven't watched. I only had time for one episode. They dropped three yesterday and you can watch all three. And then maybe maybe it gets worse as it goes on. Yeah, that that could be because I was captivated because they, they took the structure as three families. You have the Robert Evans Paramount family complete with Ali McGraw and um, all the players. And then you have the Puzo, Coppola, Coppola family. And then you have uh, the- um, Ruddies. Ruddies. So how he breaks in. So you have that vibe. And then the scene where Francis Ford- Coppola to sells his story to Evans who didn't want to have who who was forced to take who was pretty much ambushed into speaking to Coppola which is interesting too and he had a suit but what's really funny is Albert Ruddy produced the terrible Robert Redford movie Little Foss and Big Halsey with Michael J. Pollard remember that no, well, I probably don't. not. Well, I went to see it because Butch Cassidy was the biggest movie on the planet, and I fell madly in in a, a, a teen crush with Robert Redford, and so of course I went to see Little Foss and Big Halsey, which was which was sold by Albert Ruddy to Robert Evans as chicks and motorcycles, and Albert Always Ruddy good. Albert Ruddy went to the set of Butch Cassidy 
to snag Robert Redford for the role because he had already told uh, Evans he had Robert Redford. So Billy Magnuson plays the Sundance kid in one scene. But I love all that show busy stuff. I don't care if it's bad. I don't care if it's Telemundo quality stuff. I'm enjoying the pure 70s soap opera-ish vibe of this. And if people are not going with that vibe, then, you know, it's well, just, you know. Going back to Doctor Who, uh, Bern Gorman, who was in Torchwood, uh, plays Charles Bloodhorn. And I, I like his work. This is, It's a really great cast that Paramount Plus put together, but you were the first person that has said anything positive that I have heard or read. I know. I'll 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 uh, I'll uh, plant that flag. Of course. That's well, but the, but you've only seen one episode. A pilot can be great. Right. It's it's so, ten episodes. Well, do you, think, I, do you think they can hold out for ten episodes? I don't know, but they're going to have people play Al Pacino and Diane Keaton, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, no, I'm I'm in I'm enjoying so far. The casting is is really uh, interesting, and we haven't seen Miles Teller in a long time. He's no. one of the producers, but so is uh, Albert Ruddy's daughter. Oh, <laughs> so of okay. course, it's going to be flattering to them. But just the inside workings of how deals get made, you see in the sausage made, which mm -hmm. I find fascinating that some guy could talk his way into uh, the Paramount oh, lot and right. uh, get Robert Evans's attention. If you want to know more about Robert Evans, the kid stays in the picture documentary yes. is wonderful. And uh, he really was the mover and shaker at that time. So this is this is a true story, but it's lighthearted. You also watched a true story that is not so lighthearted on CNN and HBO and HBO Max. Right. No, I can't say his name right. Nelvani. Nelvani. No. Nelvani. Nelvani. No. See, now I had now, it and then I lost it. I know. I had it and then I told him. I get the N Navalny. before I get the L before the N screwed up. Okay, uh, this is horrific and especially timely given the, the well, we all the know, world. we all know Putin is this evil monster, but oh, to be so blatant about this guy. Poisoning. This, oh my God. So not only does he survive the poisoning, he investigates it while he's living in Berlin, who gives him a safe house. And he has a whole team, but what what's what's beautiful about his uh, protest is that he, uh, through the years before uh, his uh, poisoning, he used social media to criticize Putin, and he bluntly calls him corrupt thief, and he had one hundred eighty-two thousand volunteers when he was running against Putin which is unheard of in Russia. So of course you think, oh, if you attack him, he's going to be a political martyr. But Putin goes ahead anyway, because he's maniacal. And uh, this is horrific what the guy does. And it shows the, when he lands in Moscow 
again. He wants to go home and he goes home. They switch the airport because all these people are waiting at the one Moscow airport for him to land. So the all of a sudden the flight, the pilot comes on. We are now landing at the blah, blah, blah airport, which, you know, okay. Instead of JFK, they're landing at LaGuardia. Right. In Moscow. Right. And so, okay. And then they immediately nab him, you know, and uh, the. And how, the, how far up does it go? Because he's, see, that's the problem with a story like this. He, like, this week was sentenced to nine more years in prison. Right. So we don't get that far. Right. I mean, they even, if they, even him, if they would have made it today. They, right. it's still it's an ongoing story well this movie premiered at sundance in january so it was done like it was a late entry he to was sundance. still in, he was still in prison in january right but what they did was they didn't go too far into the whole prison deal but they just tell you you know they show him in prison at the end you know his head shaved uh they don't talk about the um or maybe they do mention the hunger strike. He was on a hunger strike, but they don't mention the current sentence that he's nine years, but uh, he's still being held. And obviously he's got more time. It's horrible. And the, just the amount of information, but when you see the Russian thugs, the police, the media, the whole media propaganda machine, how, everything is filtered in such a fascist demagoguery way it's totally frightening and so um it was on cnn sunday night now i forgot to record it oh so i looked on hbo it takes a while to find it but you can find it because it's produced by cnn and hbo so it is a production of HBO, but I had to go through my direct stream to get the HBO on demand, but it was right there. So I don't know, because I went looking for it on HBO Max. So I don't know if maybe you just do a search and it'll pop up, but it takes a while to find it. You know how sometimes you just got to put in the search. Yeah. It's not immediately on the little I know icon. what you're saying. Yeah, icons. So anyway, if you want to find it, but it's worth it. It's terrifying. It doesn't change anybody's mind about Putin. Just in, <laughs> but just further emphasizes what a danger he is. Well, we started with theater. Let's end with theater. Uh, the Spring Awakenings documentary. Oh, you know I love this. I don't know. I know. I don't it's know. not everyone. Some people love this play. Some people don't care for it. I know back when I was doing community theater a lifetime ago, um, the kids that loved Spring Awakening, which premiered on Broadway in 2007 and won seven of its 11 nominations for the Tony Awards and made major stars out of Jonathan Groff, Leah Michelle, John Gallagher Jr. And uh, to go so far as a Skylar Austin and... Mm -hmm. um, Lily, what's her name? She's uh, one of the girls. Lily Cooper. It. Yeah, Lily Cooper. She was Tony nominated for Tootsie. And also uh, Gideon Glick, who Tony nominee 
And uh, I didn't Lauren even know. Lauren Pritchard. Yeah, Lori Pritch Lauren Pritchard was the one who got this idea and approached Jonathan Groff. So they go back. They did this benefit concert 15 years later for the Actors Fund. And everybody said yes. The whole entire cast reunited for this. They do the backstory with producer Tom Hulse, with composer Duncan Sheik, with the players involved, and the director, Michael Mayer, who's since gone on to huge things. They do the whole backstory about how it came to be, this underdog production, but how it struck a nerve with the young folk because it's, oh, and the playwright too is is very integral into this so they they struck a nerve by using a german 19th century play about teenage repression about pregnancy suicide rape. parents don't yeah rape parents don't understand blah 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 so but they use contemporary songs so when it came to broadway well, no duncan, duncan sheik wrote songs for the for brand new songs for the play Right. They use contemporary lyrics to express right. the, the repression of teenagers in the 19th century. And it struck a nerve and uh, it became the darling. Like when when I was uh, involved with young folk doing theater back in the 2000s, they Spring Awakening was their Rent. Like if Rent is the Gen X musical, then spring awakening was the millennials musical yeah because it was it came out in what 2000 uh well leah michelle workshopped it for a couple of years it was off broadway. 2007 yeah 2007 and it was on, six. it was off broadway in six and then it became uh when they were on letterman and you probably remember this they did the bitch of living and that was the first time mm -hmm. uh, it got massive exposure. And I can't remember what Letterman said right afterwards, but, you know, it was a really funny crack. Like, you kids, <laughs> you know. You Let kids them. today. <laughs> but it was so electric and so on fire. And, and then they cleaned up at the Tonys. And then they were this pop culture phenomenon. And then we all know what's happened to Jonathan Groff, who played King George on Broadway, who's had TV shows, Mindhunter, Looking, who was just- uh, the, the, the New Normal. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, uh, not that, no, no, that was, that was Andrew and Alice. Um, uh, he is the voice of Kristoff in the Frozen series. Yes. And he hints at Frozen 3, by the way, and, uh, but not in this, but in interviews. And he was just in the Matrix movie. Yes. The, the last Matrix. So he's, his star has advanced and- he has an interesting backstory. He was, he was one of the few people that didn't get a Tony for this. Yeah. And Leah Michelle talks about how she wasn't even nominated, uh, but their voices are so good. So it shows the rehearsal process of coming back. It uh, talks to people about their journeys. Uh, John Gallagher Jr., who's gone on to um, not so successful movies, but successful TV with the newsroom. And I just hope he gets it. And he was also in American Idiot on Broadway. Um, wasn't oh, uh, John Gallagher Jr. was in that uh, that Kristen Stewart space movie, and and is like asleep underwater. It's not space, but it's it was underwater. He was like unconscious most of the film. 
Remember, because they had to drag him the whole time. Yeah, well, he played Moritz and uh, he um, had this, you know, the hair and he would wear it on the subways because he was generally unknown. He was originally in the cast of Robert Hole, Robin, uh, Rabbit Hole, Robert Hole, Rabbit okay. Hole. Why did that pop up? And um, as the kid who, mm-hmm. who, who hits the toddler and uh, on in the movie that's played by Miles Teller. So it is all full circle today. But um, he talks about how he hadn't sung since that he, day he, or since he, he was on Broadway. Well, American idiot. But so he was so worried about coming back and singing, but it shows them all rehearsing. You hear Duncan Sheik start playing the guitar and you just think of those songs. Those songs are timeless. Those songs are beautiful. I still have that soundtrack on in rotation and it means so much. And so this show reminds everybody of the power of this play, but also it shows the growth of these kids. They were, it was like, somebody says it was like the best summer camp ever. You know, the theater kids that all, this is like their first shows on Broadway. This was like them coming of age. This was Jonathan Groff finally acknowledging that he was gay and uh, it's all of this. And then Tom Holes, Tom Holes. Amadeus? <laughs> yes, he's the producer of this. And he talks about all the decisions made about, uh, you know, about keeping the play afloat, about moving to Broadway, about trying to fill the theater, about, you know, things that, didn't go so well and then after the tonys how they were sold out every night well i know lynn is giving this high praise it's not out on hbo yet it's not out until uh wednesday of next week so don't well, look tuesday, don't look for it tuesday, yet tuesday tuesday Tuesday, May 3rd, and I am going to be, yeah, thank God, HBO offered me early access, and I jumped at it, and I will sing its praises, and it's very inside theater, so really, it's for theater geeks, but if you, if you are a fan of those performers, and if you love that music, I think you'll enjoy it, plus it's a good story. Well, I, I have been telling Lynn, I haven't seen anything, because I have been dealing with a a child who's graduating and hockey playoffs. So hopefully in the next two weeks, there will be movies that I've seen, but I have snuck in. I'm caught up on Moon Knight and I, my family has started watching. We started watching two things. One, our flag means death on HBO Max and the British version of Ghosts. So because Ghosts just ended on CBS, which was fantastic. Now we're gonna go back to the original the original is only uh, 20 episodes because they're British seasons and the first season is six and the next two are seven because there's a Christmas special. So we're, we're going to see ghosts before anything else happens. And then Moon Knight and Our Flag Means Death. And hopefully I'll see a movie or two soon, but we well, don't know yet. I know it's that time of year where it's just going to get insane. Well, I, I, here's what I heard. The reason that all these TV series are coming out and like Ozark drops today. Uh, the final episodes of Ozark dropped today. Uh, it's because the Emmys moved their deadline up to May 31st. So everyone has to like make sure that all their shows drop in the month of May 
So that's why all these things are like Better Call Saul debuted. Uh, the next, I think the next half of Walking Dead, all these people are trying to get any Emmy consideration. So they're making sure that they're, well, before May 31st. Oh, that makes so much sense. Uh, Hacks is going to premiere May 12th. I thought it was going to be- Right. Oh, Barry, the first episode. I was like, oh, this is so, it's so nice to have them back because it's it's insane as ever. Uh, but the the bald haired guy that I love so the bald headed guy that I love so much that plays the Chechenian. Mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. He's so great in this one. He's just wonderful. But yeah, no, there's so much TV. I made this huge list of everything I need to catch up on. And which had been my my plan for winter. And that has since gone out the window because Glenn Fleshler is who you're thinking of. Yes. Oh, who plays Gorin? Yes. And he was he was Emmy nominated uh, in, in previous years. But yeah. The um, I wanted to bring up what's going on. In well, he was on True Detective the first year. Oh, I have to go back because that was the best year. Um, <laughs> I I will have to because that was Carrie Joji Fukunaga. Um, I will have to. Go oh back. wait a minute, maybe I'm thinking of Anthony Kerrigan. Glenn Fleshler is Gorin, and Anthony Kerrigan is Noho Hank. Who are you thinking of? I only watched the first couple of episodes of. I think Barry. it's I think it's Anthony Corrigan. Kerrigan. Kerrigan. Because he was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's him. Because he was in the movie with Kevin Hart, the fatherhood movie. Oh, okay. With, uh, with uh yeah. And so, he was he was in uh, Bill and Ted Face to Music as well. Oh yeah, yeah. The um so at CinemaCon, they're showing all the, the all the footage. Mm-hmm. of the new movies coming out and timothy chalamet was passing out chocolates for the wonka movie and yeah. uh everybody's raving about top gun maverick now see i don't believe that i and, and people are sending me things hey this they say the top gun is going to be great it, it no you cannot trust something like this at a place at a thing like that i i do not i'd have to see it for myself and i'm still on the fence about seeing it at all all righty. Well, there you that that's one of them. And then Olivia Wilde was uh, showcasing her new movie with <laughs> my boyfriend Harry Styles, and uh, uh, somebody passed her an envelope marked "personal and confidential," and she was kidding and said, "Oh, is this a script?" And she opened it up, and it was custody papers from from her uh, ex baby daddy, uh, Jason, Jason Sudeikis. Sudeikis. Ted Lasso ex- again, everybody, and and he. The people from Jason Sudeikis camp said, we did not plan this. We didn't know when they were going to serve her. We just handed it over to the the processing company and they processed her at the absolutely worst time. They they are very against it and they thought it was in poor taste and they said they were um, unawares. Yes, well, apparently whatever relationship they had um ex-fiance i thought they were married but ex- no they were never married yeah ex-fiance um he did speak uh when he uh, the one emmy or one award uh speech he thanked their mother his children's mother so well and because she helped him she helped him um develop and told him to go do it right 
That's he, he does say that because they showed this clip and I've read the articles about it. And speaking of semi celebrity splits, this Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing is so sordid and awful that it's going to go on for five weeks. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid it as much as possible. He was on the stand for four days. And as, as Howard Stern said, he's developed a British accent and mm -hmm. he's from Kentucky. But Amber Heard had a baby. Like, like, when did this happen? So I'm not up on all this either. And I choose not to be, but then you are confronted. If you're watching any kind of newscast, you're confronted with it. But I heard from a local radio person that it is on court TV has a podcast. Of and this? You, yes. Court TV okay. has a podcast of this trial. So this is where we are in society. There is no bottom anymore. But no. uh, speaking of local radio people, mm -hmm. I want to extend my heartfelt, oh, uh, I guess, best wishes. I don't know. Best wishes. I, I, I saw Jen today. Oh, uh, Jen Meyer, her last day today. Is and today, I yes. I just feel for her. I didn't know that. I knew she had uh, several cancer journeys in the past couple of years, but I didn't mm -hmm. know that it had metastasized to her lungs, her breast cancer, and it was stage four, and she was in really intense chemotherapy. Yes, I, I have had, in fact, two weeks ago, Jen and I and our buddy Frank Ladd, we had a nice long discussion, and it was, I'm glad I got that, have that talk with Jen, because I'm going to miss her around here. Yes, for I mean it's unheard of to spend twenty years at the same place in radio. Yes, well I I did twenty eight and then the company disappeared. So, uh, well, good for you. But yeah, no, she you. was a she was a peach. She was exactly what you think she is. She was not a viper, not a backstabber, not a radio executive weasel. She was a program director and music director. And just when I used to do movie reviews with Paul Cook at Y ninety eight, she was the most pleasant kind person and so i think what you what you heard is what she was you know yes and and that's just unfortunate that she's and, I, and we're, we're thinking about her husband and her kids and just i applaud her thinking, for yes for uh taking the time to concentrate on her family and that and we wish her the best of luck and uh we'll keep uh i guess we'll keep everybody posted well mm -hmm. she's going to be very private she's not going to post anymore after she posted on facebook she is no longer going to be private right. well this you know public this is going to be a huge weekend even though the weather's going to be crappy we got the q fest except sunday sunday's supposed to be great Oh, that's right. 76. Um, we have uh, Q Fest. We have the Afrobane Festival, which is all women playwrights at the Centene Center. I highly encourage that. Joe mentioned it. And we have um, what else is going on? Oh, oh, Monday. What are you doing Monday, Lynn? Oh, yes. I am introducing Rebel Without a Cause the Monday matinees at Buter at 1.30. One of my favorite cast, Natalie Wood and James D and Sal Minio. And they all three had horrible deaths. Horrible. <laughs> well, that's at Buter Library on Hampton Avenue, just two blocks south of Chippewa slash Watson. So 
go except there it is actually Chippewa on that yeah. one. Right well, south, just south of Hampton Village. It started it started the whole teen movie revolution. Right. And but, uh, but let's not talk about how they all died horribly. Talk about the amazing movie that they made. Right. And how wonderful they were on screen. Talk about brilliant people uh, mm-hmm. making an impact so quickly in their careers and just beautiful. And um, uh, Paula Abdul in her music video, Rush, uh, uh, parodies it. Well, not parodies. Rush, Rush a, number, a number one song from the late 80s. I want to say it's 88, but I'm not. I think I have blocked it out. All I know is the chorus. Rush, Rush. And Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? I just want to say Keanu Reeves was in it. Okay. Huh? I'm Yeah, Keanu Reeves was in it. Um, poplifestl.com. My website's getting an upgrade and we're going to be rolling out new features May 1st. Yay. And I'm on KTRS every Thursday evening with Ray Hartman and I, after the 10 p.m. news, and I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times today with reviews of memory and the, the Duke. Duke. And where can we reach you, Carl? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter because I work for the St. Louis Blues playing the music and blowing the goal horn. And that's where I do the horn test three hours before every game. In fact, today, people from ESPN and Turner are going to be filming me doing that. And uh, we will see a feature on that during the playoffs. So I'm going to be heading out of here really soon. Uh, You can hear me Monday through Friday on the Mark Cox Morning Show and weekends on K-Mikes on Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. So everyone have a great weekend and let's go Blues. Yay Blues. Get your boosters. Bye-bye.